0: Welcome to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart Podcast. This is podcast number 214. I am your host, Karen Litzy, and in today's podcast, I sit down with Coach Jason Glass. I met Jason back in December at the TPI Level 1 Certification. That's the Titleist Performance Institute Level 1 Certification. And he was one of the instructors, and we started following each other on Twitter, and next thing you know, he is on my podcast. So if you don't know who Coach Glass is, he is one of the world's top golf strength and conditioning specialists. He owns and operates Tour Performance Lab and Connecticut Golf Performance in Vancouver, British Columbia. If you want to find out more about him, head on over to his website, which is jasonglassperformancelab.com, And you can also check out his podcast. He also has a podcast, and we talk about this during this episode. But go over to iTunes, show him some love. It's Coach Glass Podcast. I think he just had like his 200,000th download, I think. I think I saw that on Twitter. So congratulations to Coach Glass for that. That is awesome. Um, In this episode... We talk about a couple of things. We talk about rotational power. That's one of the things that is his specialty. Uh, we talk, again about functional training, which is something I spoke about a couple of weeks ago with Michelle Delcourt. So if you missed that podcast, uh, definitely check it out. That was podcast 212. Um, and we just talk about how Coach Glass has inspires his clients and his students. And it was a great podcast, so I hope you all enjoy it. And like I said, I met him back in November at the TPI certification. And um, while I was there, I also met another group of people who own the company Body Track Sports. That's B-O-D-I-T-R-A-K Sports. And they have these sort of pressure mats, really made for... For golfers, but I have been using it as a physical therapist for my post-operative patients, for patients with balance issues, for my older patients, um, and it's pretty great. So if you have a chance, check out their portable force plate, their force mat. Go to bodytracksports.com. That's B-O-D-I-T-R-A-K sports.com. Really cool. Patients love it. I love it. Um, I found it to be Just super-duper helpful. So go check them out. Uh, They're awesome. Uh, They're based in New York City, and um, I think it's an inexpensive way to kind of get that force plate into your clinic. And I mean, I actually, and they're portable. I carry it around the city with me. They're pretty lightweight, um, so I highly, highly recommend it. Okay, Uh, without further ado, please enjoy today's podcast with Coach Jason Glass. Hey, Coach Glass, welcome to the podcast. I'm happy to have you on.
1: Thanks for having me on, Karen. I'm excited. I've been listening to your podcast for the last six months, uh, just feverishly digesting them all, and uh, to be on the show is fantastic.
0: Well, I'm so happy to have you on, and just so people know, I met Coach Glass back in December at a TPI Level 1 certification class in Rhode Island, and that's the Titleist Performance Institute. Um, where I got my level one certification for golf and he was one of the instructors and uh, you just were informative and funny and a very, very good teacher and which I think, you know, being fun and getting that information through is a sign of a good teacher. So I, you know, it was great meeting you and now I'm happy to have you on.
1: Awesome. Awesome.
0: All right. So now that being said, I'm going to have you talk a little bit about yourself, uh, give a little background as to your history and kind of where you're coming from. So the listeners have a better idea when we get into all of this talk about rotational power and training and things like that.
1: Absolutely. Um, There's nothing more fun than talking about yourself. And I'm joking, by the way. Uh, as soon as I start speaking about myself, I think I'm in therapy or something. Uh, but I, we do need to do a little bit of an intro just so your, your listeners know where I'm coming from. Um, I'm a strength conditioning coach. I cut my teeth in uh, tennis, rotational sports like uh, golf, extreme sports, snowboarding, uh, skateboarding, Any basically any athlete that had to rotate. Um, I somehow – uh, through my experience as an athlete, uh, came up with some exercises, some screening techniques, and uh, and just years of experience of working with athletes, I came up with a philosophy of how to train rotational athletes, and uh, it's really uh, it's really gathered a lot of momentum um, as I started going through the uh, PGA Tour world. Uh, I was the head strength coach of the Canadian National Golf program for five years and uh, developed a lot of athletes through there and started working with NFL quarterbacks, uh, started working with NHL players, and just basically any athlete that needs to load and explode or or create more speed through rotation. Um, So then through that process, uh, with my systems in place, um, I started speaking for Perform Better which really opened up my audience uh, to a lot of different sports and a lot of different uh, organizations. And uh, and then speaking for the Titleist Performance Institute, uh, which is a golf-based screening process uh, that correlates what's happening on the body, physical screen the body, and correlate it with what's going on in the golf swing. So you put that all together, and uh, I've really just spent the last six years traveling around the world, lecturing and educating and uh, working with athletes. So... Uh, I don't know if if I could have dreamed it when I got out of college that this is what I'd be doing, but, uh, sure enough, here we are.
0: And how, so you said you had a bit of an athletic background yourself. So how did you kind of get into the strength and conditioning world? How did that happen? I've spoken to a lot of strength and conditioning coaches and getting to the level of working with professional athletes is not easy.
1: No, it's not. Um, and, and I don't think that it's something, uh, Okay, people that have a lot of money say that money doesn't matter. People that work with professional athletes say working with professional athletes doesn't matter. But people without money go, oh, you're just saying that because you don't have to worry about money. So I would say the same thing in this field as well. Um, Honestly, the best athletes that I work with, the the ones that really give me the most uh, joy and the most uh, kind of value for what I do are my juniors. I have a junior golf academy in Vancouver, British Columbia, and I have 40 kids. They're all high school age kids. I work with them on a weekly basis all year round. And I really feel like you can make a difference in actually somebody's life, a child's life, and be a mentor to them and be a coach. Where when you go to the professional ranks, these guys have already made it. They're already great. And you're trying to change 1% of their performance. Where when you have a junior, you're changing somebody's life. So, uh, as much as everybody goes, Oh my God, like you worked with so-and-so and so, and so- uh, yes. But my, when I'm on my deathbed, I'm going to be thinking about those kids.
0: And oh. yeah, no, go ahead. Well, I'm sure my wife and kids <laughs> first and everything, but
1: I, when, when I think about my career, let's be clear. Right, right,
0: right, right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Let's not forget. Let's not forget about your wife and children. Um, yes. so talking about rotational power and rotational training, let's kind of, before we get into all of that, let's define exactly what you're talking about here. So if someone comes to, let's say a trainer, a strength and conditioning coach, or a physical therapist, and they say, I really need to work on my rotational power. What what are we talking about here?
1: Well, here we go again. This is a, I think this is a misnomer. Um, When we talk about rotational power, um, I use that term broadly because it evokes energy it evokes uh excitement people get really fired up when they hear the word power rotational explosive rotational power that's sexy but in reality what i'm trying to do is make people more efficient i'm trying to make them move better so they can move more efficiently and in essence i'm trying to take the governor off of what's holding them back from releasing speed with for releasing power but if you were to watch me train, like just yesterday, I did a workshop with the Edmonton Oilers, and we had one of their uh, players come in. And for the workshop, I took this player through a full assessment and a workout. And at the end of it, one of the therapists that was there said, that didn't look like power training, Jay. And I said, but did we increase the velocity of his slap shot? Yes. But you didn't do any power training. Well, I said, well, he's not ready for power training. But we did find those little nuances that were holding him back from expressing his speed and expressing his power. So is that power training? I don't know. I just think that we make people move faster, more efficient, and we keep them from getting injured. I'm doing my job.
0: And so what would be – if you can give like – let's take this Edmonton Euler that's hockey. Yes. 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 That's probably blasphemous for you, for me to even nope, that's wonder okay. what that is, it, but you know, to say that Canadian, to a Canadian like Canadians, myself, Canadians, Yes, um, that's
1: that is blasphemy.
0: So let's take for example this player that you were working with yesterday. Can you give sort of specific examples as to what are you looking for? Sort of wh- how what is your evaluative procedure like, and then some some more specifics on okay, I found problem A. This is what I'm going to do with intervention B.
1: Okay, absolutely, and I, I hope this is. I think people learn
0: better that way.
1: Yeah, I hope this is interesting for for your listeners. I know you have a broad uh, listenership uh, from all different uh, you know uh, professions, mm-hmm. but. Let's, let's use this, if, even if you're not into fitness, if you're not into strength and sports and all that kind of stuff, just take this as, let me boil down, kind of deconstruct what I do, and maybe you can apply it to the mental game, or you can apply it to your business life or whatever. The, the technique is the same. Um, we take a, a kind of an uh, overhead view of the athlete. Let's see them actually perform their act. Um, at that level, at a professional level, rarely are you going to find a technique issue that is blatant to the eye. Like just, oh, dude, you got to do this. It's rarely that simple. Uh, with an amateur, it's, it's usually we start there. But with a professional athlete, we watch how they move. And then I say, OK, talk to them. What, what are the issues? What, for instance, what do you want? Oh, I want to have uh, more power in my slap shot. OK, great. Uh, when you slap shot, it comparable to other people. So like compare your business to other businesses. Is it, is it really a problem? Or do you just want, want to hit it harder? Oh, no, no. It's definitely my coaches and the GM and everybody says that this is my weakness and this is the thing I need to turn around. Okay, so now I know they're emotionally attached to this. This is a big deal. It's not a casual conversation. We're talking about somebody's career here. So now I know I've got a player that is hungry and ready for some answers. So now I start my assessment. And when I start my assessment, I want to see the basic components that make up rotation. Can they tilt their pelvis in a sagittal plane? So anterior tilt, posterior tilt their pelvis. I know that using their abdominal wall to generate uh, power and transfer power through the body is very important. I look at can they rotate their pelvis Can they because it's a rotary sport. Can they disassociate their upper body from their lower body? Yes, they can do that. Or no, it's not very efficient. Maybe they're moving laterally as opposed to rotary. I then check the strength and the symmetry of the rotational slings. And it, it, this is very confusing, but I have a uh, a full video of this on my website. And so people, if you want to geek out on rotational slings, you can check it out. Um, but really, we want to talk about how the muscles that contract to rotate the torso, they all have an anchor point. And they all have like a kind of an origin and insertion. Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking about a single muscle. I'm talking about a grouping of muscles, a unit of muscles that work as one. So I call those rotational slings, not muscles that happen to create rotation. It is actually a grouping of muscles. So then I see how they move. Like we, we kind of start from the ground, like knots, not moving. Now move a little bit, one segment at a time. Now let's put three segments together at once, move. And then we start to see things fall apart. And as I start to see if things fall apart, it's basically you're using the wrong strategy to create movement. Their, their brain says, if I want to rotate over my left leg, I'm going to bow my, my knee out to the left. And I go, wait a second here. If your knee is bowing out to the left, that means you're using your abductors, not your adductors. And I know that the rotational sling for flexion and rotation attaches – doesn't attach physically, so don't geek out on the Mm -hmm. the anatomy. The anchor point for it is the adductor on the left leg. So if the adductor isn't firing, we are trying to attach a rope to a base that's not stable. So I test that out by itself. Just test out the adductor. Guess what? It's weak. Guess what? The abductors are weak. So basically his hip, his lower limb, how it connects with the body is weak. It's not firing properly. So I have to decide, is it a strength issue or is it a nervous system issue, neuromuscular? Is the brain just not connecting to those muscles? So I do some muscle testing. Guess what? He is strong when we get him to fire the muscles properly. So now I have to rebuild this and reestablish the proper pattern from his brain to his muscles. And when we did that, we get him back up. We retrain the motion, we reinforce the motion, we reinforce the muscles firing, and he does a slap shot, and guess what? Boom. We have new speed, we have new power. Now I say to him, like, this kid's pretty excited. I say to him, what do you think's going to happen tomorrow when you hit the ice? He goes, that's going to be awesome. I said, well, no, it's not necessarily. I hope it is. But tomorrow you might just fall back into that old pattern that you had before. Just like in a business life, maybe you're you do this big, you know, this big meeting with all your staff and everyone's fired up, but then tomorrow morning they still come in late and they still come in and they, they take too long on their coffee break. So it has to be every day. You have to, you know, reinforce, reinforce, reinforce. Next thing you know, uh it maybe in, in I hope it's less than two weeks, but if he really focuses on it and gets some activation exercises before he hits the ice, this kid should be firing at all cylinders.
0: Okay. So that makes a lot of sense. So, and I really like that, how you start off this assessment of the player. And again, I think your example can certainly be applied to any player at any level of any age. Um, But asking the athlete what they want first is so important. And I don't know what you think about this, but I would think that's an often overlooked step. Yeah. You know what?
1: I, I actually learned this, um, or at least this concept was solidified by my colleague, uh, Mark Blackburn, who's mm-hmm. a world-class top 100, uh, golf instructor on the PGA tour. And when I sit there, he, he'll have a, a new client come in a new PGA tour player that he wants to, that's interested in working and he'll have me sit in with him sometimes and say, "Jay, I've I've seen this guy play. I think there is some physical issues potentially. Uh, let's let's have a little chat with this with this uh, gentleman." So the you know, the guy would be hitting balls, and and I just watched Mark as an expert coach start to ask the questions of, "What would you like me to do for you?" As opposed to just jumping in and fixing things, what would you like? And the player goes, well, I'd love to be able to draw the ball. I'd like the ball to start to the right and then finish on the left. He's like, okay. And you struggle with that? Yes, I do. Why is that important to you? Well, it's important to me because um, the courses that I play, whenever I have to hit that shot, I, I end up like hitting it and missing the green and it's costing me money. Oh, okay. So then he'll say to them, well, what, what are your strategies for this? He's trying to determine – do they actually have the capacity or the capabilities to do what they want to do? So that's like, you know, that kid that just came out of high school saying, I want to work uh, as the head strength coach for the Carolina Panthers. Well, that's great. You have ambition, but do you actually have the skill set yet to accomplish that? No, you don't. So let's start with what you have. And then he'll he'll just watch them. And he always says like his first assessment's like two and a half hours long, because he spends probably about forty minutes just watching them.
0: Mm-hmm. And,
1: uh, and just taking in what the, what the player is giving them before he starts making assumptions. Most yeah. coaches just jump right in and go for it.
0: Yeah. And what a missed opportunity because it, and there's been a lot of talk even in the therapy world about this as well is really understanding your client's values. So what is valuable to them? Because if you jump in and you try and quote unquote fix something and it doesn't align with their values and it doesn't align with what they're trying to accomplish, guess what? They don't care. No. And and the odds of you of your having a successful therapeutic relationship, strength relationship with this client are, are pretty slim. Yes. So being able to go in and like you said, ask them what they want. Have them try and identify their weakness. Why is it important to them? And then you can go in and you can assess. You can look at strength, symmetry, um, the movement, movement strategies, you can restore, and then you can reinforce. But doing all of that without talking to the client huh. is, I, I would think, wow, what a waste of time all around, right?
1: Yeah, let me give you just a quick example yeah, of that. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. We had a, uh, a young athlete with the, with the national team, the Canadian National Golf Program. So this young athlete hit the ball far, um, out, out pushed, out pressed, like fitness test, they blew everybody out of the water, okay? So they were fit, they hit the ball miles, best player on the team, and they were just like, why do I need you? What are you going to do for me? Type thing. That was their attitude. Like, they weren't buying in to the fitness program. And as coaches, we knew that this person, they loaded and exploded in a way that, If they continued to do that, they would injure themselves. Like it wasn't if, it was when. But you go to a young kid and say, hey, you keep doing this and you're going to injure yourself. You need to really buy into this fitness program and let's start building up your kind of – make you bulletproof so you don't injure yourself. We want a long career out of you. Well, you tell that to a kid. I'll tell you what. When I was a teenager, I used to be a skateboarder and I used to skateboard on 20-foot half-pipes. And I used to have this attitude that like, I'd crash and burn and I'd be sore and I'd break my arm and break this and break that. And I was like, it doesn't matter. I don't care if I die when I'm 40. I am going to shred like as hard as I can. And I don't care about what I break and what, what the result is. If I'm in a wheelchair, and they, this is what kids say. If I was in a wheelchair at 60, it'd be worth it because I lived my life to the fullest. Well, guess what? When you're 40 or 60, <laughs> you don't want to die and you don't want to be in a wheelchair. So no. It takes that perspective, but you can't tell a young kid that this program is going to change their life. So what we, what we had to do as a coaching staff was come to their level and say, what do you want? And find the vulnerability in the athlete, find their fear of what they're afraid of, and then see if we can use the fitness or whatever thing we're trying to accomplish to actually not, not, we're not tricking them. We actually want to address that, but can we also take care of what we need to do? And address their concerns and their fears at the same time. And this is a big part of what I what I did with the Oilers yesterday with this athlete was I reminded the the strength the strength team and the and the therapists, this is a human being. This isn't a, a meat suit that I'm training. This is a human being. So if I can't communicate with the with the human being element and be a coach and tell this player, this is why this is important. You told me what you wanted and what's important to you. I am going to help you accomplish that goal, but I need you to meet me here. And as soon as you can do that and speak to them on that level, now you have a full buy-in, 100% buy-in from the athlete. You are going to get results. But if you just apply your system and you go, "This is going to be great," it they're not. If they don't buy in, there's going to be no change.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, even no matter how great you think your system is, if there's no buy-in from the other side, guess what? Who cares?
1: Exactly. That's you know? that's why that's why I'm called a strength coach.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Not I'm not a strength professional or a strength expert. I'm a strength coach, and I my minor in university is psychology, and I feel like my my major is human kinetics. My minor psychology. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that eighty percent of my job is being a psychologist, even though my title is in the kinesiology world Mm -hmm. uh, because it is that interaction with the athlete that really makes a difference between not, I'm not going to compare myself to other coaches, but I know that my relationship with my athletes and my, the way I communicate with my athletes is the difference maker in my success in my career.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'm really glad that you brought that up because I, I just think it's something that I see over and over again that is just missing in human interaction with, whether it be a therapist, a coach, a trainer, what have you. If you, like you said, you're not just moving meat around, you're moving a person. So thanks for bringing that up. Now, let's take let's go back again. Um, so you went through your sort of assessment, your movement strategies, your restoration patterns, your reinforcement with daily exercises. But I guess the other question, I have is why focus on just rotational power when aren't there like other things that may be way more important to focus on? So when does that, I guess the question is, should every athlete have a focus on rotational power?
1: Um, for, for, my, uh, for my business, yes. <laughs> it, would help, it would help me if everybody wanted more rotational power. But to be honest, and, and this happened, the athlete that we we're working with in this case, uh, the hockey player um, had some postural issues that were quite severe and and they needed to be addressed. And as I poked around, like his, he was very kyphotic and uh, doesn't rotate through his T-spine very well. Um, but again, those are things that I need to address or their, their physicians have to address their soft tissue experts are going to go in there and try and release that. But I couldn't sell that to the athlete. It will be addressed, and so as a meeting is of a team with the medical and the fitness and the coaches, we can all say this needs to be addressed. But the sell to the player is, I need to open up your chest and get your T spine in a better posture so you can rotate better. Because they just want performance. They don't. They don't care how they fit in a suit. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, they just want to perform better. So. Yes, all those things are important. And we picked up on a bunch of elements that needed addressing. Um, But really, that's where a team environment comes into play, where I go to the medical guys like, you guys need to sort this out. I need these joints reset so I can reinforce them and put them into a better position. Um, and, And to be honest with you, if there's like, let's say somebody comes in and there's a real issue, I'll sit them down and go, you know what? All this rotational power stuff is great, but let's address the big, big pink elephant in the room. Uh, if we don't take care of this, you don't you're not gonna have to worry about rotational power because you're gonna be retired uh-huh. at twenty eight right? so so let's let's address this first, and I'll tell you what you do the hard work in your posture, and I'm gonna reward you by giving you rotational power, but you have to earn that first because right now i I don't feel like you're doing your part in this relationship and and it's a tough thing to do, and you might lose a client. but uh, one of these days when when it all falls apart, they're gonna look back and go, ooh." Yeah, I remember that conversation.
0: I and have let's hope to that it never guy. gets there. Yeah, I should yeah. listen to that guy. Hmm.
1: But that's why you know we end up being salespeople in a sense, and it's not—it's we're not selling snake oil because we legitimately and authentically want to help this person. But you end up having to find ways to communicate and sell your system if you truly believe that it's going to make a difference, and you also have to be able to walk away when you know that you can't help them.
0: Mm, Very true. And, you know, talking about this rotational power, I think it's interesting what you said before is, you know, someone was watching you coach and said, well, it doesn't really look like you're doing anything powerful. Mm
1: -hmm. It doesn't,
0: you know, so I know when I think of, okay, we're going to talk about rotational power, I'm thinking explosive movements and I'm thinking they're holding on to bands all over the Mm -hmm. place and rotating and twisting and... So, is that what a training session is like? Or it can be, depending it on can the be. person.
1: Yeah. For instance, I have one player on the PJ tour that I've worked with for the last six years. I I'm bad with with numbers, so it could have been, it could have been seven or eight. But, um, anyways, we've we've been in this process for uh, numerous years. So let's say six years. Well, if you saw that athlete training, you wouldn't know what sport they played. You would think that they're NHL hockey players. You would think that they're you know, playing football or – I don't know what – you certainly wouldn't think they're playing golf because they're doing Olympic lifting. They're doing kettlebell snatches. They're doing 180-degree jumps up benches and 180-degree jumps off. They, uh, they're, they're loading with bands and, and exploding and throwing projectiles and all this fun stuff. That is great. And if you saw that session, you go, wow, that is explosive rotational power. But I find that that is the last element. The, the biggest bang for my buck is making per- people more efficient first. And like I said before, taking the governor off is the key. Releasing their inner speed that they already have before you start adding on more horsepower. Let's just release what they've already got.
0: Right. So kind of get the movement, the movement first, the movement pattern, the strategies, and then load it up. Just like you
1: would any. Yeah, I mean, I, I put it this way: I was in Phoenix a couple of weeks ago, and I rented a, a rental car, and the guy said, "Do you want the Toyota Torcel or or whatever it was? It was just like a, a little sedan. Mm-hmm. But we also have this Dodge Charger. Now I'm not a Dodge Charger kind of guy, uh, so I was like, ah, eh, it's a little bit much. It's it's a big like muscle car. It's a bit. You know what? I'm in Phoenix. It's hot." Let's let's have some fun. Sure, I'll take the Dodge Charger. So we take it out of the lot. And I thought, let's see what this thing's made of. I mean, it sounded great. And I put the pedal down, and it went nowhere. And I was like, oh, maybe I got in the wrong gear or something. No. The problem was, they it's a rental car. They put a governor on it. So for me to really get that car moving, without even changing the engine, without changing anything on it, no, don't change the specs on it. I just need to take it into a shop they fill around with the computer chip and they release what it already has. So before I start switching engines and putting bigger brakes on it, why don't I just try just letting it run the way it was built to be run. So the rental car company puts a governor on just like our bodies put governors on ourselves when it feels if we load and explode any faster, something's going to break.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sort of like an alarm system on there just to keep it from, from getting to that point where it thinks there may be the possibility of tissue damage.
1: Absolutely. Right. Absolutely.
0: Now, I just mentioned before, sort of bands, and you mentioned jumping and all the stuff, and it kind of reminds me of the old functional training. Mm-hmm. And I use functional. I use functional, kind of in quotation marks. Um, and I had a conversation with Michelle Delcourt about this a few weeks ago, and I, you know, you hear so much about. I'm doing functional training and I'm doing functional this and functional that. There's functional anatomy courses. There's functional training and functional, I don't even know what. And a lot of times in the gym, you think you see trainers putting someone on a BOSU ball and they're calling it functional. So I would, (laughs) do you know I would love to hear your take on this whole functional training movement? Because I know you have some ideas. I don't know what they are. So I'm curious to hear.
1: Um, yeah, you've you've hit a hot topic here um, because functional training, you know, I've been doing this for 20 years, um, and it, there was a real surgence of this in the 1990s when the Bosu ball came out and the Swiss ball came out, and your worth as a trainer was how many different elements unstable surfaces could you train on and the more you could train like if i had a bosu ball a swiss ball under one arm and spinning a plate in the other one while doing a reverse lunge like everyone would go who's that trainer he's amazing so that there was an error of that and we've learned from that but that was considered functional training because it wasn't traditional meathead you know uh, lat pulls and bench press it was like there was a lot of kind of uh, I don't know instability in, in multi-directional, multi-plane movements. So then, as that as we started realizing this was not necessarily the best way to get performance, it was helping in certain areas, but it certainly wasn't people making people stronger and faster. Um, so then it started to evolve away from it. We started going back to the basics, kettlebells, which are ancient. Uh, technique uh using olympic lifts like going back to the basics and now i feel like it's almost like the functional side's lost or at least laughed at where i get people who go oh i used to be a functional trainer but my clients weren't getting results so now i'm a crossfit coach or i used to be a functional trainer but people weren't enjoying themselves so i became a zumba instructor Uh you know i'm just i'm like well why can't you be a crossfit coach who also addresses function Because at the end of the day, function is, does this person move properly? If they're not moving properly, let's correct their movement before we load it. To me, that's what function is. Mm -hmm. So function is, anatomically, you should have 80 degrees of hip flexion in an active straight leg raise, 80 degrees or more. That would be functional. So if you have less than that, then you're non-functional in hip flexion. So if you're non-functional in hip flexion, let's do some corrective exercises until you are functional in hip flexion. And once you are, now we can do the sexy exercises, kettlebell swings, deadlifts, and all this funky stuff. Mm-hmm. So to me, that's functional training. It's just get people to function so that you can strength train.
0: And, and does it not also depend on what that person has to do in their life? in their job or in their if it's an athlete so does functional training again quote-unquote functional training do you, do you take into account what this person has to do on a daily basis or on yes. a, do you know what I mean and that's yep. in my opinion that's where functional training sort of lost all its function is because <laughs> people come in and all of a sudden you hook them up with bands on their arms and their legs and they're rotating and doing all this stuff and why like why would you do that to someone if okay so just to say that you're a you're doing this weird functional stuff that might look cool on a video
1: right so that what you're talking about there um and this is this is kind of the the knock on functional training you can't have a real good workout if you're functional training you can't if you're doing corrective exercises you can't really have a good workout you're not gonna be sweating and people say well i i I was doing correctives i was doing some functional training but then i just the clients were bored and they weren't really getting a good workout so i've abandoned it i'm like what do you mean abandon it Uh, if for one what dictates a good workout and that's a totally different podcast but for, for, this, for the case of this, let's say someone thinks a good workout is sweating and feeling worn out at the end of it and tired. If that's your idea of a, of a great workout, then let's address this. So why can't you do some metabolic work with an athlete, get them moving, driving, exploding, and then they're exhausted, and then get them down the floor, do some correctives. But you're doing correctives in areas – you're doing strength and power moves in areas that they are functional – So if their shoulders are moved functionally, then you can do shoulder work at a very high level, very explosive. But if their hips are non-functional, do not be loading and exploding through a non-functional joint or a non-functional movement pattern. But I just pick out the ones that they're good at, have them go crazy in that area. And then the ones that they're struggling with, I use that during the recovery or once it's like a dog that bites people or, or is bad. Go take him for a run and then bring him back. And now you can coach him. Now he's coachable. Mm-hmm. So that's that's kind of way I work a I do a workaround on that. But when you talk about function of life, I have an athlete and, and golfers are crazy because golfers will do anything. If you said you could live till eighty and you could hit the ball a hundred and ninety yards with your driver, or you could live till seventy, but I'm gonna have you hit the ball two hundred and fifty yards with your driver. They'll say seventy sounds great. <laughs> So these are not normal people. So they came, this guy comes to see me, and he was in real bad shape. Like functionally, he was in bad shape. He couldn't touch his toes. He could. He really struggled to get out of a chair. So he wants to get better at golf. I'm looking at him going, like, golf? Who cares about golf? Like, let's get you – like, you must be in pain. But he wants to play the golf game, so I'm like, all right, let's go down this road. We start working on it. Three weeks into it, he comes in. He goes, Jay? My wife didn't want any part of this. Any part of this and she was like, "Why are you wasting your money? This is too expensive." She just told me, "Sign up for 3 months." I'm like, "Really? What's up?" And he goes, "Well," I goes, "Your golf game gotten that good?" He goes, "Screw my golf game." My wife always bugs me like, "Can you go change the barbecue tank?" And I say to her, I, yeah, I'll go do the tank and it takes me 25 to thirty minutes because I gotta get down on one knee and I gotta reach around, I gotta brace myself and I do all this stuff. Well, she said to me last night, can you go change the tank? He walks outside, he gets sits down into a squat, reaches in, changes the the housing, pulls the tank out while in a squat, brings the other tank, puts it in, attaches it back to the barbecue, it's fired up, he comes back inside and his wife goes, I told you to put the barbecue on. And he goes, I did. And she goes, no, you didn't. The tank's empty. Go change the tank. I did change the tank. You didn't change. It. I did change. It. And he just keeps going on like this. And then she's like, goes outside because she doesn't believe him, of course. And sure enough, tank has been changed. This has changed the function of his life. To me, that's functional training. Mhm.
0: Agreed. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And it's, uh, just one of those, I guess. One of my pet peeves because I hear it so much, and I'm very happy to get other strength coach perspectives on this because I think it's something that's been kind of, I don't know, I don't know what the word. What the right word would be? Maybe um, inflated a bit too much mm-hmm. in in the. World of of strengthening conditioning and even physical therapy, um, so I, I just anyway just one of my pet peeves. So I thank you for your opinion on that.
1: No problem, and and I'll I'll just share a pet peeve while you're on that topic. Yeah, 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 please. Um, because we just had that where I was with a bunch of therapists and a bunch of strength coaches at an event, and it was uh, about a month and a half ago. And I asked them, "Do you know this person?" And it was a therapist that I've learned a ton from. Do you know this person? And two people out of 60 knew who that person was. Okay. Now, the problem was that I'm speaking to a bunch of people who are all in drinking the same Kool-Aid. And and it's good Kool-Aid. There's nothing wrong with it. It's organic. It, there's no GMOs in it. Uh-huh. It's, it's all those wonderful things. But they've neglected that there is another – world out there and what i've learned is this other world also believe it or not doesn't know what the fms is they don't know what the sfma is they don't know what tpi is because they're in their own circle and that circle guess what they're right too even though it's almost a an exact opposite of what we're teaching they're right too so it's I find it that that's one of my pet peeves is people hang out and stay in the circles. You go to a conference with functional trainers to listen to functional coaches uh-huh. talk about function because you like functional training.
0: Yeah.
1: Well, guess what? If you don't like yoga, you probably need yoga. If you love yoga, you probably need strength training. So we always go to what we're, what we're used to and what we like. But that's one of my pet peeves is I really encourage people to step out of their box And go to a conference that is like the exact – like if you're a functional trainer, go to a CrossFit uh, summit. And you're like, but I I don't believe in that methodology. Go. You're going to learn why you don't like it. But you're also going to learn why there's so many people that love it and – that's what you. That's where you have to, you know, really draw your knowledge from. You have to be able to see both sides of the fence.
0: Yeah, I agree, and we kind of talked a little bit about that before we went on air on a topic that I don't think we want to get into right now. But um, <laughs> there's, <laughs> there's, there's always, you know, two ways of looking at things, and I do think that um, being completely polarized to either end is probably not the best but to find some middle ground and listen in some cases some people might scientifically evidence based be 100% wrong yes you know and and then maybe those are people that you don't have to listen to but i think if there are if there is some evidence that shows that a training methodology or a therapy methodology has some merit. I think you're right. I think it's okay to kind of open yourself up and to understand a little bit more about it because you might be able to blend your methodology with bits and pieces of this methodology for the betterment of your patients or your clients or your you know, students, whatever it may be. And Absolutely. And I think sometimes if you're too closed off, you might be you might be missing the mark a little bit. So Absolutely. I always try like I don't know a lot about the FMS and the SFMA, but I, I went and I, but I like golf. I knew I like golf and I would told my mom a couple of years ago after playing golf pretty consistently for a summer, if they had put me in golf lessons as a child, I'd be on the LPGA tour right now.
1: Nice. Like, I, I feel like, like I know
0: it in my bones. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I know I would. Why did not you do that? My dad's like, I tried to tell you, nobody listens to me. You only need one person to play golf. You need a whole team to play softball or to play all these other <laughs> sports. So
1: that's true. At
0: any rate, I didn't. I didn't know. I don't. Wasn't really into the SFMA, but um, going to this TPI course was really interesting to learn from strength coaches that were there and from golf pros and things like that. So it definitely opened up. And now, and I obviously take pieces of those assessment, not the whole thing with some of my patients because it's not appropriate, but I can take pieces of that assessment and put it in with my patients and it kind of helps me to get a better picture of their movement patterns and the way that they're doing things. So,
1: Absolutely. You know. And you know what? Uh, this, this was something that really interesting and this is on the podcast level. Um, when I started my podcast, the Coach Glass podcast, I, I started with having my friends on uh, oh, as oh, guests,
0: absolutely. of course, of course. Right.
1: So I start with having my my friends on as guests, and I started having my friends on that might some of my friends that I really respect their information, their knowledge. They're not world beaters. They 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 really know their stuff, but nobody knows who they are. And I just I just started having them on because I just love talking to them, and I've and I wanted to share. You know, when you have a conversation with a with a good friend, a colleague, and you just go at the end of it man i wish that i pressed record
0: because mm. oh, that yeah, was that
1: was amazing right so as the, as the podcast started to grow i started going well hey listeners like the people that listen to my show do you guys want like some bigger names do you want guys like gray cook or do you want greg rose on or all these these people in this field that we live in and they're like no we really love the fact you introduced us to scott haybear The hockey uh, strength coach from Vancouver. That was the best interview I've ever heard. Or Mike Contrell from PRI. like That was so enlightening just to hear him. Now he's one of those guys that in the PRI world, the guy's, he's a legend. But in the other world that we live in, no one's heard of him. Mm. So it's like, it was just, I've started bringing in these people that I found interesting and that was so cool. That the the audience started really responding and going, no, find us some more gems that we have not been exposed to, and so that that's pretty cool. And that's when I looked at your podcast and I really started listening to it. I realized the the breadth. I mean, you have, you have business lawyers on, mm-hmm. um, and you have authors on, and and that's what, I really f- enjoyed the breadth of uh, topics that you guys covered.
0: Oh, thank you, thanks. Yeah, it's and it is nice to introduce people to new ideas and new people and new concepts, you know, versus having the same people who are on a lot of, who are very, very well known. Um, It's nice to, like you said, introduce people to new concepts and new ideas and and different points of view. I mean, that's why you, that's why people have podcasts, right, is to introduce people to different points of view and to have good conversations. And to hopefully not have people bored to death while they're listening to it. I hope. Well, and and,
1: and I'm, a, I'm a big fan of podcasts. Like I listen to them on a daily basis.
0: Well, what do you listen and, to?
1: Well, here, this is an example. I, I really love – I like comedians. I, my hobby is stand-up comedy. Mm-hmm. I, I do open mics and I also do uh, stand-up gigs uh, when I'm on the road. But uh, so I listen to a lot of comics. Uh, Bill Burr is one of my favorites. Um, I listen to the Todd Glass show. I listen to Jay Moore. Mm-hmm. Now Jay Moore is uh, an actor comic, but his podcast was the actual first podcast I ever listened to, and I think they're at like I don't know 300 some odd mm-hmm. episodes. I've listened to every single episode. Now why did I listen to every single episode when I looked on the on the list and. This is what usually when you find a podcast, you're like, well, scroll down, find out like some big names of people that they've interviewed and then listen to those episodes. But I was like, no, every person that he's brought on, he brought on because he believed that they were a good guest. And he's never he's never done me wrong. So I'm going to trust him on this one, even though I don't know what this person's name is. I've never heard of them before. I don't even know what they do. I'll give it a chance because I trust the host if the host believes that this person is an interesting topic, I'm listening. And that's where you get your true, uh, you know, uh, listenership. If they trust that if you're bringing on this person that you've never heard of, then they, there must be some, some validity or some value to it. And I think that's, that's the cool thing about, uh, really growing your podcast and your brand.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and again, like you said, it's, it's an extension kind of, of your brand. So, you know getting back to getting back to you and your podcast and your brand and what you do you know like you said a big part of what you do and what you're known for is sort of your rotational power and training and things like that but i think that you it's nice that you can expand upon that and brought in your own breadth of knowledge. I mean, one of your podcasts, which FYI, my podcast had a very similar name. Oh. Um, uh, it was the one on sex. I think oh, no. Yours yours was just like sex. And I think, I forget what the was. It rest said, of the need, I title say more. need I say more? Mine literally just said sex. <laughs> it didn't
1: oh, okay. Have <laughs> anything
0: else after it? <laughs> um, and uh, surprisingly, it was a very popular episode. Um,
1: exactly.
0: But uh, I think it's, I always think it's great that, yes, you're sort of known for this, let's say in the training world, but you're able to use other outlets to expand upon what you do and to learn more. And yes, that uh, may bring in new people for you.
1: I hope so. Um, because for me, when I started the podcast, I realized I was, I was trying to write a book. And as I was writing a book with my philosophies, I realized when I sent it to my colleagues, they said, "Jay, this is great, great information, but it's not you." Mm-hmm. So then I started writing the book, and then each chapter would have a part of the chapter that was like a funny antidote of like how I experienced or how I screwed up, or how I did whatever. I sent them that, and they're like, "That is now we're getting somewhere." And then I just got I got bogged down in the writing of the book, and I was like, you know what, my best asset is my ability just to put on a microphone and and entertain and educate. And I call it edumatainment. So it's a combination of the two. So to be authentic to myself and my listeners, I knew that my passion for comedy and my passion for human performance had to be mixed. And I knew that the true uh, fitness person who wants to geek out on the details might just go, Jay, enough with the comedy like I get it, your analogy, we understand it. You don't have to play some, you know, weird background music while you're talking about sex. <laughs> just tell us, tell us how many calories it burns, you know. Uh, but then the entertainment side, there's a lot of people who listen to it for that side, and they go, "We just love your, you know, doing impressions or you're doing, you know, make fun of this different thing or just your, just your goofy angle of how the world works." Well, somewhere between the two. That's where we're going to have have our happy medium. Mm-hmm. But if I only did one or I only did the other, it wouldn't be authentic to who I am as a person and as a brand. So it is what it is. That's what you get. And, and I always tell people it says explicit on, on the uh, podcast it's set. It they might not be, but I never know if it is or it isn't because my version of explicit, your version of explicit and somebody else's could be completely different. So let's just warn people that they're in for a ride.
0: Nice. Yeah. Mine does not say explicit, um, <laughs> but that's
1: okay. That's okay.
0: That's okay. Um, well, listen, we're going to ending on that note, we're going to kind of wrap things up, but, um, what sort of, I'll have you leave the audience with some sort of parting thoughts and maybe some parting thoughts on, on your method, on your training methodology And, and then maybe some parting thoughts on the podcast and, and life in general. So sorry to put you on the spot, but no, no,
1: not at all. Not at all. Um, I always finish my podcasts, uh, by saying, uh, three words that I, that I live by and they are dream big over deliver and be undeniable.
0: That's And I really, sorry, that's more than three words.
1: It's more than okay. Three statements.
0: <laughs> okay, I'm that's horrible
1: at math. Horrible at math. <laughs> okay, um,
0: say it again, please.
1: So the basic premise is you got to dream big, and my whole career has been based on a dream that is constantly changing, constantly evolving. But I just want to inspire others to greatness. And what I mean by that, it sounds cheesy, but I want I want people to dream outside of their norm. And believe that if they really, really work their ass off and have a daily uh, commitment to whatever they're trying to accomplish, they can accomplish great things. So I want people to dream big enough that they can really do something that they're proud of and and that excites them. And then once they get there, though, I need them to over deliver on it because you'll realize when you climb a summit, when you get to the top of a mountain and you look across the, the chasm you will see another summit. So your journey never ends. I just need you to over-deliver on it. So if you say that you want to one day present at a Perform Better Summit, well, don't just pre- perform at a Perform Better Summit. Go in there and blow the roof off the place and do the best job they've ever, like have, blow people's minds and and then take it to the whole another level. And then lastly is be undeniable. And the un, be undeniable comes from the barriers that are going to come in your way while you're trying to accomplish your dreams, while you're trying to accomplish your goals, you're going to have naysayers. There's people that said, what's the deal with your podcast, dude? Like, you got to let that thing go. Like, it's, you know, why do you do that? Do you get paid for it? No. Why do you do it? Okay. That naysayer for some people would crush them. I'm saying I'm undeniable. I, I believe authentically and in, in, in my heart, I'm doing the right thing and it feels right and it means something to me and my listeners. I am going to continue to do it. I'm going to be undeniable. And if you do those three things, you're going to dream big enough. And then on the way, you're just going to, you know, be undeniable on the way. Do not let anybody push you away from your end goal and just accomplish it. You will have success in whatever venture you're in. And, uh, and you would just never stop. You just keep on growing. There's no such thing as retirement from your dreams. Uh, it's not a destination. It's it's really a road that we stay on until, uh, until you put me in the ground. I'm going to be moving forward.
0: Great. Well, I can't think of a better way to end. So thank you so much. And now if people want to get in touch with you, they want to listen to your podcast, how can they do it?
1: Uh, put it this way. I don't have business cards. I always say if you can't find me, I'm not doing my social media job properly. Search Jason Glass Lab on Twitter, Instagram, anywhere. Just put Jason Glass Lab. Uh, go to jasonglasslab.com, and uh, my website has all my podcasts. iTunes for the podcast, Stitcher for my podcast. Um, just go into Google, put my name, Coach Glass or Jason Glass. YouTube channel will pop up. Everything's there. Uh, and, and digest it and enjoy it uh, because it's really meant to, to be fun. It's supposed to be educational, entertaining, and, uh, and, and just a little piece of me. So uh, I hope everybody enjoys it.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. This was great. I'm so excited finally to have you on, so thank you so much.
1: My pleasure. It was great, and keep doing what you're doing, Karen. You really are uh, a, a true professional, wow. and you're expanding the podcast world and, and doing a good thing, so keep on going.
0: Thank you very much, and everyone, thank you so much for tuning in today. You can find me on Twitter on at NYC, and you can Like, Jason, I'm on iTunes and Stitcher and Google Play and all that stuff. Are you on Google Play?
1: I think I'm going to after this.
0: Nice, nice. (laughs) We'll talk about it after. Um, So, everybody, thanks so much for listening and tuning in. Have a great week and stay healthy, wealthy, and smart.